Hello and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Jane Scar, the Curator of Public Programmes, introducing you to today's episode featuring painter Gary Hume, who has been invited to select artworks for the first of two displays featuring works from the Hiscox Collection. Speaking with Gary is Whitechapel Gallery curator Laura Smith, who is overseeing the exhibition and has worked closely with Gary throughout the selection and display process. Here, they talk about how slow looking allows us to enter images in more meaningful ways, the role of intuition and instinct, and the work of Edward Bertinsky, Keith Coventry, Thomas Roof, Alison Wilding and Willie Doherty. The exhibition is free to view in Gallery 7 and is on display from the 25th of August 2020 until the 3rd of January 2021. So we're here today to talk about the exhibition in Gallery 7 at Whitechapel Gallery. Gallery 7 is the space where we host visiting collections. As Whitechapel doesn't have its own collection, each year we invite different collections, usually those that are not easily viewable in the UK to be a kind of collection in residence and we'll curate two or three displays from that collection over the course of the year. This year, the collection we're delighted to be hosting belongs to the Hiscox Insurance Group and it actually has quite an interesting story. It was begun in 1970 by Robert Hiscox, who wanted to introduce art to his offices as a way of offering his employees something to stimulate, excite, interest or distract them. And the collection has grown since then. Now, 50 years on, it consists of almost 1,000 works of art by international contemporary artists. And with no work ever in storage, it's a very hard-working collection. It appears in offices around the world, above photocopiers or in meeting rooms, enlivening the working environment of Hiscox employees at all levels of the company. So for the two displays at Whitechapel, we're very excited to bring these works that are never seen outside of the Hiscox offices to public view. And we thought it would be great to invite two artists who have works in the collection to curate the two displays. The first of these artists is the British painter Gary Hume, who's here with us today, and whose print series The Sister Troupe is in the collection. The second artist is the Venezuelan-born, Berlin-based installation artist and painter Sol Calero, whose display will open in January next year, after Gary's. Alongside Gary and Sol's displays, you can also see a selection of works made from the collection by Whitechapel Gallery's youth forum, Duchamp and Sons, but that's a separate podcast. For this podcast, I'm very grateful to Gary for both agreeing to curate a selection from the collection and for talking with us here today. Thank you, Gary. No pleasure. So I thought we should start at the beginning. Could you tell us how you approached the task of making the exhibition and how you made your selection of 27 works from over 1,000? Um, quite a simple and nowadays ordinary like, genesis of it, which mm-hmm. is everything, of course, is digitalised. So just sat at getting access to the collection database and then sat looking at my computer, going through the images and going through quickly and just 
with an old-fashioned pencil on a bit of paper, writing down the names of the works or the artists that I was automatically drawn to, and then keep on doing that until um, I sort of started to bring mm-hmm. the list down because, of course, initially I'm both wanting to be generous and I'm only I'm looking at things that are... Of course, the bolder the image or the object the more drawn to it mm-hmm. I am. And then so then try and, you know, slow my breathing down and see whether I can actually look at things that are less um, automatically impactful and find their value. And so that was really, so that was sort of like the simple process. Mm-hmm. And then from there, went to Hiscox's offices in London to have a look at all the, most of the work, I think, that is in the show I've seen in real life. Um, and occasionally they've had to, because there's no travel or anything, someone's had FaceTime, so I've actually seen it in their offices in Texas or God knows where. Um, so I get a sense of its scale and its place. Well, what, one of the things I really liked about it was that it was, even though we're using the, the modern technologies to sort of like speed up the process, it also was like going back in time where I remember having art catalogues mm. and looking at these paintings or sculptures and not really being able to, not taking much notice of, of the material or the proportion, the mm-hmm. size of the works. And so it was really interesting for me to think that I've been, I've imagined that this thing is a really big painting, say, and I go and see it and it's like eight inches by four <laughs> and how you then have to readdress, you know, what the hell you're looking at if it is so intimate. So that I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then, of course, some things in real life um, I liked less mm. than when they were an image. Why do you think that happened? Um, all down to material, really, and about how the artist has used the material and whether I'm um, excited by that use. And sometimes I'm, I think, oh, this isn't, um, this isn't quite as good as as it is, as an image, uh-huh. you know. That's all an interesting dilemma. Like, how, how do you make a... Some things love being photographed and, and they look better for it, and other things don't really like being photographed. Mm-hmm. They only really exist when you're in front of them. Um, can you tell us... Can you say maybe a bit about how... Um, what you did instinctively respond to? Because that's it's a very personal selection, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about in more detail, but it feels very much yours and very much um, following your intuition. I don't know if that's possible even to articulate, but... Well, there's def- there was definitely no um, sort of like academic thesis that mm-hmm. I was wanting to explore that I think, oh, great, what an opportunity to have, <laughs> like, um, explore this thesis I've been wanting to, you know, um, illustrate for years. Um, I don't have any of those. So really it was... Truly instinctive, but the a couple of things that I'm always drawn to. One is material. I love wet stuff on the end of a stick <laughs> being moved about and how that can just become fantastic in its simplicity and thrilling that mark making and colour and the material does something um, that is sort of like loose and exciting. And the other thing that I really like, which is sort of like connected to that, really, is something that is beautiful, but it has um, 
either a sort of like a hidden um, sadness in it, mm. or that uh, it, it's not just pretty. It feels that you, as you as you approach it, you approach it at ease, mm. and then the more you're with it, the the less at ease you become. Either through it's sort of like daub-like quality, mm. and you wonder about how what a marvelous simplicity life can be, or the fact that it, the image is not actually of something unpleasant um, mm. or or realistic, the you know realistically pleasant. Um, and I I find that dichotomy in work is always something that I really like. One of the works that I think does that really brilliantly is we're looking at a piece of paper uh, a printout of it is Edward Batinsky's oil spill photograph um, which is a really incredible aerial view photograph of um, an oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010 um, and I think it does exactly that that you're talking about it's it's a very very beautiful image of a horrible and destructive event so it's like how do you what what does an artist an artist is unless they're purely conceptual an artist is sort of like basically an aesthete you know they're mm. dealing with aesthetic they're dealing with materials and aesthetics all the time and about how how to move them about to make something and here is a looking at the real world at an ecological and maybe physical to human beings disaster mm. um and the image is beautiful. The the texture of the water is mm. like physical. It could actually all be oil rather mm. than the darkness of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hoses, the boats. There's almost nobody. You, if you look closely, you can just about see some maybe some hard hats on the rig, but there's all sort of like no human beings. Everything is so mecha- mechanized that mm. there's sort of like no need for people to be running around. They just set it up and off they go. And so it's. On the first glance at it, well, forever really, it's a a beautiful object. It's a beautiful composition and colours and textures and everything, and it is of something awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conflict, what do you do as the viewer with those two things? Yeah. Is there ever a resolution with those two things, or is the fact that there is not a resolution the thing that becomes interesting in the work? I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I haven't resolved my. Um... I don't think. I don't think anyone can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe someone can, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem like something that necessarily needs a resolution. No, it's a like it's a bit like finding all pleasure in lockdown. Yeah. You know, like yeah, there's been so many pleasures to be had. Mm-hmm. At the same time, knowing that other people are suffering and that people are dying and everybody's sort of like... Different people are stuck in situations that aren't, um, aren't appealing in any way. But one can still find pleasures. Mm. And then once do you admit your pleasures? Mm. Do you go, actually, I had a lovely time. I cycled around London, it was completely empty. Or do you sort of like try and hide yeah. the because you want to be with everybody? Or is it important to um, take pleasure where pleasure can be found sure. otherwise what the hell is the point of being alive you know part of that's part of the human psyche to um have pleasure so speaking of lockdown your exhibition title is quite um prescient to the contemporary circumstances we're in um 
the show is called Accelerate Your Escape, and it's taken from Heim Steinbeck's print, which is included in the exhibition. Could you talk a little bit... I mean, you, you chose that title before lockdown happened. It was just um, a premonition, perhaps. Well, the, the, the art has always been an escape for me, mm-hmm. and it's not, an, it's not an escapism, but it's an escape. It's escape from what um, was expected of me, for, you know, via my teachers and my education. Um, um, an escape from my own um, sort of like dogma that I can believe that the world is in one shape and then I can see something else. Um, the, uh, the, the, just the sheer awe in looking. Mm. Um, so to practice looking. And the, one, the beautiful thing about looking is that the more you look, the more you see, and the more you see, the more you think. Mm. Um, and there's a very lovely, um, calm, meditative... Um, way to, it's all, almost to analyse the world, but it's analysing and feeling the world all at once um, by looking. And, of course, I spend almost every day of the week doing that. And it is to... I basically loved that title because let's speed up <laughs> our escape. Let's accelerate it. Let's um, enjoy the fact that even amongst... Um, like Keith Coventry's like broken tree mm. from the council estate, um, that it can be a sign of get the hell out of there, mm. um, plant another one, you know, yeah. do something. This is the this is the world, and um, I think it's yeah. I mean, really, just repeat myself. It's important not for escapism, but for a. a a journey in mm-hmm. via looking because most of the time we can't we don't have any time to be in mm. you know it's all about being it's always about being out showing your showing your exterior self and that being a that that being the thing that um can define one but and the beautiful thing about looking at anything whether it be you know, your ledge in a kitchen <laughs> or a sunset or a keith coventry sculpture it can it just, it can just open up your open up your mind. So that there's a Thomas Ruff photograph, and it's really fantastic. Uh, it's a he makes he makes them up. So you think you're looking at a real photograph, but you're not looking at a real photograph. I mean, a real thing. He's photographed. He's made the thing, um, and then photographed it. And it's a gallery from what looks like 1950s Mayfair or somewhere, and it. It's, it's just gorgeous. Um, and then you look very closely at it and you see that there's this like velvet rope that is sort of like pointless and it's just been tied up on one of the stanchions. So that's sort of weird. And then there's, it's, it's all lovely. And then there's, he's, this is a really funny bit, where he's taken out the doormat. As you, as you come into the gallery, there once, there's a little recess in the floor, where there was once, a, no doubt, like a regular doormat there to fit. And he obviously didn't like the colour. So he, he took that up and then didn't know what to do. And so he ran home, got his <laughs> bath mat and put his bath mat down, which doesn't fit in the hole properly. And, <laughs> but you, 
What's really nice is you accept the image for what it is. Sure. And then the more you look, you see all of these quirks and strange like, anomalies of if, if that is real, that would be totally weird. Yeah. You know, not the glamorous Mayfair Gallery that you think, incredibly weird <laughs> space where you sort of go, hello to the person who owns it. And, but you revert back to it being a real place without the anomalies. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Your brain but, fills in the gaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Get, getting rid of anomalies, weird. There's a work by Alison Wilding in the show which um, sort of brings me on to another question that I wanted to ask you, which is one thing that was really interesting to me after going to the Hitchcock's offices and now seeing the works in our gallery is how different they are when they're taken out of that office environment. So like I said at the beginning, the works are never in store. They live in offices with people, with computers, with snacks, with movement and noise, lots and lots of visual noise. And they were they were strong and beautiful in the offices, but now this work, particularly by Alison Wilding, which is a very small kind of 15 by 15 centimetre sculpture um, of cast acrylic, uh, in the offices um, had a kind of quiet presence, but here in the gallery it feels totemic or it feels like it's going to open Indiana Jones's tomb or something. It's got so much power um, when you take away that visual noise. Well, you're very kind saying that it, like, it had a presence in their offices. It did, certainly did not have a presence. Because <laughs> it's an object that you cannot... Like, it's tiny, mm-hmm. right? And it's an object that, unless you love it, it could just be kept, be kept put into one side mm. until finally it's in a corner of someone's office on a shelf. They don't even know it's there anymore because they don't... They haven't looked at it to love it. Properly, uh-huh. And that... Um, I think once they see it in the show, that the person whose office it was in will go, oh, my God, I had that in my office. I think I should get it. I want to... Can I have that plinth, please? Yeah. I, want to have, I want to put it in there like that because I really didn't even look at it. It's a... I love it. I, I completely love its um, um, humility and its hugeness. Mm-hmm. There's... I don't know. There's just something about the... Um, um, architecture, weirdly, I, th- I think, you know, you say Indiana Jones, but I, th- I sort of think more of sort of like, you know, faith mm-hmm. and how architecture makes faith um, or how faith uses architecture. And here she is using this very small totemic mm. object to... Um, uh, it makes me sort of like laugh at my own desire mm. for size. <laughs> you know, I think, oh, what an idiot. You know, look what you can do on such, with, a small scale. on such a small scale. And that pleasure of um, falling in love with something that is sort of um, invisible, mm. can be invisible, once you've fallen in love with it, you, you feel, like, really good because it's like a secret. Mm. You know, everybody else is going to be strolling by, but you know that that's really, really fantastic. Yeah. And you get a sort of double pleasure out of it. I think Indiana Jones and Faith, I think maybe, I I hope we maybe mean the same thing. I just mean like an object that has its own power and energy outside of 
not that occurs naturally. It's almost to me, it's it's really hard to describe for people listening, but it's um, quite a geometric cast tower with a sort of ascending top. Um, and the bottom half of it is filled with this kind of swirling dark black and red pigment. And the top of it is um, almost translucent white grey. Um, it's very beautiful. But it feels like something that exists in the world anyway. It feels like a mineral or a one of those stones you get in a gift shop. Yeah, because it's got that quartz mm-hmm. type layering, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and laying down of um, geological time and all that stuff and Aztec um, temples and things. Mm. But yeah, it's... Um, it, it, again, I, mean, I don't know whether the whole lighting thing is... Because like in this photograph, the, the lower section seems really intensely mm. coloured, whereas... Upstairs it's more subtle. Yeah, it's much more subtle and it just... Um, you, it just feels like real in it rather than a. It feels real in the whole thing rather than uh, the whole thing is there for that bit of colour action. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. more complete. Um, I guess one of the other works that would be quite nice to discuss with you is as you come into the gallery, the first work you see. Um, which is Willie Doherty's uh, photograph of a border crossing in Northern Ireland. And it's the biggest work in the show. And you've positioned it exactly opposite the doorway as you enter. So as you enter, you're approaching this road. um, And the photograph is, uh, as I said, very large, almost two metres long. um, And there's a photograph of a road in Northern Ireland leading to a border crossing. So the... At the foreground of the photograph, it, the road fills that foreground and then the perspective takes you up the road and the white lines sort of chart your path. Um, and I think it's a really exciting way to enter the show, especially given the show's title, because um, it sort of takes you to another place immediately without you even having to try. Um, and at the same time, it's a very, very beautiful, very luscious image of something um, that has a very complicated and difficult history that is definitely not beautiful. Well, like, I haven't seen his work for years, but I did see quite a lot of it in the 1990s. And I never um, looked at them as beautiful Mm. images. I mean, because the the troubles were still on and that... I could only see that with um, sort of like fear and trepidation mm. and uh, being frightened of the soldiers at the checkpoint and frightened of the IRA or the UDA mm. in the hedges. Uh, it was so so not beautiful. It was yeah. only threatening. And, um, of course, this is, you know, going back to what I was saying about what I really like in art, is that now, I mean, partly because the troubles are over, I'm sure if the troubles were mm. almost over, if the troubles were still on, then I don't know whether I could yeah. see the thing that Willie must have been looking at at the same time. He wasn't just photographing um, 
anxiety mm. and trepidation. He, he must have seen, he chose a spot. The spot, mm. maybe any spot's beautiful, but this spot turns out to be beautiful when you look at it with the, the, the prescience of, of, of fear mm. taken away. Mm-hmm. And so you can, it sort of like becomes hopeful. Yeah. You know that there, it was made in a time with very little hope and now you can see some hope in it. Mm. You know, and I love the fact that there's a, you know, it's Ireland, you know, it bloody rains all the time. <laughs> and you can see the, the, the tar marks of moving the, moving the water away, you know, the hedges and the light and this strange little kink in the, in mm. the white lines, like the person was a bit drunk. <laughs> and that there's a, that, that partly in this show with the things I've chosen, its aesthetic qualities are being pulled out from which you then go into uh, its historical moment and Mm. what's happened there now. I I found it really exciting because uh, I was... I thought of... saw him as a polemicist. And not that, you know, probably being really unfair because I don't know... You know, I've seen a few mm. shows, but I don't know, don't know it really in any depth. But I saw him as a polemicist, mm. so I'm sort of like a bit bored. But um, that it was really lovely for me to see the the possibility of a polemic in it, but um, via via the via aesthetics and via some hope, um, and now with now being imbued with some hope mm-hmm. in it. So yeah, that's why I liked that. Beautiful. Weird, isn't it, that you can uh, one object can change your whole perception? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the crucifixion or something. <laughs> Who wants to look at a man nailed to the cross? Yeah, it's only the resurrection that makes it bearable. Yeah, I mean, that's probably quite a good point to end on. Um, but I, I have a final question, which is, uh, well, it's kind of two. <laughs> is um, how how has this related to your own? your own daily work of making paintings, if it has at all. And um, and would you want to do it again? Have you enjoyed it? Uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been it's been fun, it's been nice, you know. You know. Um, you and Grace are both <laughs> great to work with. Thank um you. um not really I don't really want to do it again, no. I mean there were there were, you know, there were, you know professional curators out there. I think it's a nice idea to ask artists mm. to do things and in the show, in this sort of um, like, um, methodology when you're using people's collections, it's a nice, you know, way of mm-hmm. trying to open up eyes. I mean, because one of the things that was interesting is that the artist who's showing next this collection, I thought, oh my God, like, like I had first pick. Mm. So I thought she's going to be really like, oh no, what a nightmare. Oh, I've got all this rubbish. But in fact... <laughs> She didn't want any of my stuff anyway. She didn't. So it's so it would be really fascinating. So the next show, same mm. collection, a completely different view, mm-hmm. no doubt. I mean, I don't know what yeah. she's chosen. And you think, oh my god! So I thought this collection looked Did like this, uh-huh. but in fact, this other artist has now made the collection look like that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that's really interesting. And the relation to my work is really what I've just been banging on about all the time, which is mm-hmm. that the relationship between 
what I love, which is moving wet stuff about mm. until it st- dries mm. and, and it looks like something, and how to make something that can bear being looked at via aesthetics or lack of aesthetics mm-hmm. of one sort or another, and um, it containing... I mean, like all art, finally, it all contains loss. Mm. You know, even David Hockney's oranges, you know, you know, they won't always be that lovely. No. And you just caught, you just, you just caught a moment. Thank you, Gary. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Here Now. You can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org. Don't forget to visit the exhibition, Accelerate Your Escape, Gary Hume selects from the Hiscox Collection, on display from the 25th of August 2020 until the 3rd of January 2021. Goodbye for now.